Our diocese is currently praying a novena for priestly vocations through the intercession of Servant of God, Frank Parader, a scout and a seminarian of our diocese who tragically died while studying for the priesthood in Rome way back in the year 1920. And in honor of this novena for priestly vocations, I want to say something really clear this morning. Nobody in this church today, this morning, nobody in our entire parish community, and nobody in the world is worthy of the priesthood. Nobody. In fact, if anybody thinks that he is worthy of the priesthood of Jesus Christ, that guy would make a terrible priest. It's sort of like in the Chronicles of Narnia, where Aslan asks Prince Caspian a direct question. Do you feel yourself sufficient, he asks, to take up the kingship of Narnia? And Caspian replies very honestly. He says, I don't think so, sir. I'm only a kid. And Aslan responds, good. If you had felt yourself sufficient, it would have been proof that you were not. Nobody is worthy of the priesthood. So if that is your excuse, or if that has been your excuse up to this point for not considering going off to seminary, that you're not worthy enough or not holy enough yet or not whatever enough, I've officially called your bluff because absolutely nobody is worthy of the priesthood. But let's make this even more universal in scope because I fully realize that not many of us here this morning are able to discern the priesthood. Nobody's worthy of the priesthood, yes, but I could have just as easily started this homily off today with an even more fundamental statement, a statement that would be applicable to all of us here, regardless of our vocation or our state in life. And that statement is this. Nobody is worthy. Unless you're Jesus or the immaculately conceived Virgin Mary, nobody here today is worthy. None of us. St. Paul made that clear enough in his letter to the Romans when he wrote, There is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have been justifiably condemned. Apart from God's free gift of grace, apart from the thing of first importance that St. Paul talks about, that Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven, apart from that event, we are dead. Without God's totally undeserved forgiveness, we actually do deserve hell. We deserve eternal separation. We deserve eternal suffering. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? If so, then good. Because if we still buy into the modern lie that it would be a horrible injustice for God to send anyone to hell ever, if we don't believe that we have been completely 
undeservedly and freely forgiven, justified by an all-merciful God, if we don't get that nobody is worthy, then we will not experience the amazing salvation that God really does intend to give each and every one of us. As one spiritual writer put it, the good news of damnation is always the necessary prelude to the good news of salvation. That's very striking, isn't it? The good news of damnation. Did you ever think you'd hear those words together? It sounds like an awful contradiction to us sophisticated 21st century people whose knee-jerk reaction is to think of hell as an old-fashioned, unnecessary relic of a much harsher, more demanding era in church history. And yet, if damnation is not real, if it is not a possibility, then what exactly did Jesus save us from? What's the point of any of this? If we're all basically worthy right now, as is, without Jesus and without his cross and without his grace and without God's forgiveness, then what are we doing at church? Who needs any of this? So I'd like to say this morning, thank God that none of us are worthy. Thank God that we can all fall down together like Isaiah did in our first reading this weekend. He says, woe is me, I'm doomed, for I am a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips. That reminds me of a great G.K. Chesterton quote where he says, we're all in the same boat and we are all seasick. We're all people of unclean lips. We are all unworthy, really, to stand before the living God. What prompts Isaiah to say this in our reading? Woe is me, I'm doomed. Well, he has seen a vision of heaven. He's been given a rare glimpse into the purity and the goodness of the heavenly liturgy itself. He has seen and heard the holiest of angels, the blessed seraphim, singing back and forth to one another with that scorching and divine song that we also get to sing every single Mass. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. All the earth is filled with his glory. When we sing that song, the holy, 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 or the sanctus, as it's called in the Latin, how does that song impact us? Does it instill in us the fear of God? How often do we quake before the thrice holy God when we hear those words, holy, holy, holy? Because I think all too often, at least for me, that song has sort of become a little routine. We sing it so often, it's, it's just part of the background of the Mass. And that's probably why this reading from the prophet Isaiah is so necessary for us. It's a reminder. It is a life-giving reminder that nobody is worthy. 
we see Isaiah crying out with his entire soul, Woe is me! I'm not worthy! I'm not worthy to be in your presence, Lord! What does God do in response to this deep primal cry of Isaiah? Does God reassure him, oh, don't worry, you're worthy to me, don't feel bad about any of your sins, don't feel any guilt, just, just kind of ignore that, because you're fine, Isaiah. Is that what God says? No. Instead, he sends an angel to Isaiah, and the angel brings a burning ember from the altar, and he touches that fiery coal to Isaiah's lips, saying, See, now, now your wickedness is removed. Your sin is purged. It's gone. It's not there anymore. It's forgiven. Only then can Isaiah find the courage and the zeal to rise up and say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. I'm willing to go. I accept my mission. Unworthy as I am, send me. We can hear an echo of our second reading from St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians in this. He says, I'm the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, the least of those who were sent to go out and preach the good news of God's mercy. Why? Well, because Paul says, I persecuted the church. Paul is utterly unworthy. But does that disqualify him? No. He says... But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace, God's grace, to me has not been ineffective. Paul, too, in his own life, experienced a burning ember from the altar of God on the way to Damascus, right? When he was blinded by the heavenly light, Jesus appeared to him saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he replies, Lord, who are you? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Paul could have easily replied with the words of Isaiah in that very moment. Woe is me. I'm doomed, for I am a man of unclean lips. I've killed Christians. I've had them arrested and dragged away from their homes. I've actively undermined the good work of the church. And yet now my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. But Jesus doesn't give up on Paul. He lets him really feel the depths of his own unworthiness, only then to ask, whom shall I send? Who will go for me? And Paul's life is a testament of his generous response. Because with everything Paul is, he says, here I am, send me to the ends of the known world. To all of the non-Jews, send me. To the people who would stone me and reject me and torture me, imprison me, send me to those people. We see this exact sort of thing happening in our gospel this weekend too, with Jesus and Peter. Jesus performs that miraculous draft of fish. Peter and his co-workers have been working all night up to this point. They caught absolutely nothing. And yet, at Jesus' command, they say, all right, we'll try it one more time, but only because you asked us, Lord. And what happens? They catch that unbelievable number of fish, and then Peter sees that this is 
the glory of God right there in front of him. And what does he do? He does exactly what the prophet Isaiah did. Lord, I am unworthy. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Get away from me, Lord. I don't deserve this miracle. I'm unworthy. And again, did Jesus say, oh, you're fine, Peter. Look, don't worry. You misunderstood me. Your sin is not a big deal. Just ignore it. No. He says instead, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of your very real sinfulness. Do not be afraid of your very real unworthiness. Because it will not disqualify you if you come to me with repentance and with contrition of heart, which is exactly what we do every time we go to confession, right? We say, Lord, I am a sinful man. Lord, I am a sinful woman. And Jesus responds in that sacrament, do not be afraid. I will send you out forgiven and I will make you catchers of men. I will send you out to be the modern day apostles to gather in, not fish, but people, human souls that I want here at Mass so that I can give myself to them totally in the Eucharist. We are all totally unworthy of that. And we admit that freely at the Mass, don't we? What do we say right after the priest holds up the broken host after we sing the Lamb of God together? At that very moment, we're all gazing at Jesus together. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. He is standing right there in front of us just as he sat in Peter's boat. Do we, what do we say in that moment? Do we say, Lord, I'm fine, I'm okay, everybody around me is okay, we deserve this. No. We say together, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. And then Jesus says, do not be afraid. And he gives himself to us. We're fed. So come to the Eucharist today knowing that the Lord wants to ultimately purge you of every sin, of every uncleanness. He wants to make you worthy. Worthy to stand in heaven forever.